Washington DC is today perhaps the most powerful and influential city in the world. While neither the biggest, most populated or richest in natural resources, it nonetheless serves as the center for the governmental body of the United States of America. Capitol Hill, the White House and the Supreme Court of the United States are all located within its city limits and the Pentagon, the NSA, CIA, FBI and others likewise make their headquarters in or close to the capital city of the United States. Naturally, therefore, one would assume that kindred would gravitate towards this center of power like flies to honey, and that is a correct assumption. Several clans have high stakes in DC, and that is not to speak of other night folk who find the area of special interest. Yet the city's ruler, one Marcus Vittel, has strict orders in place regarding any attempts made by vampires to influence political organizations or leadership. In fact, most factions have to satisfy themselves with working over lobbyists, indeed becoming quite like lobbyists themselves, and the reasoning behind this is sound. The city's previous prince, a Tremere by the name of Marissa, eventually became too powerful and was seen as a liability by the leadership of the Camarilla itself. It is not known under what circumstances she perished, but it is presumed that she was assassinated, and her former lover come rival, Vittel, made sure not to fly too close to the proverbial sun. When Washington DC was first founded, few older kindred had much interest in the fledgling capital city of a country they assumed wouldn't last more than a generation or two. While the city had some vested interest in it by the Torador, internal strife in the clan due to how the city should be designed eventually burned out their interest, and the Bruja prince by the name of Arthur Carroll claimed domain in Georgetown, and thus by extent, what would become Washington DC. Carroll remained relatively unchallenged until the War of 1812 when the Ventru, who considered this city, well, more of a village at the time by the Potomac, their domain. Thus they made sure that British soldiers raised it to the ground, although it cost them dearly in manpower. Some believed the Tremere, in retaliation for the burning of the relatively newly constructed Library of Congress, employed their thaumaturgy upon the British, but it has not been confirmed nor denied. After the war, kindred interest in DC sunk once more, and remained so until the Civil War. As the city grew rapidly due to its strategic importance, it also became a rallying point for Bruja who wished to oppose the Ventru and their pro-slave ideology. As the city became a hub for the Union Army, and especially for the care of their dead and wounded, the Nosferatu began to move in as well, many of them remaining even after the war. Because of the influx of Bruja and Nosferatu, Carroll's influence grew stronger as he was deemed an important player in the ongoing conflict. But this would change as the Bruja Prince was assassinated midway through the Civil War, presumably on orders of the Ventru. Unnerved by this sudden move, the remaining kindred in Washington DC feared that the war would arrive at their doorstep at any moment, their reactive fear the perfect opportunity for a Tremere named Marissa to step up and claim the city as hers. Unable to support any other potential for the title, Marissa's clan appointed her pontifex and begrudgingly approved of her stunt, all the while deeply resentful that a woman had been so bold. Marissa turned out to be quite a natural at undead politics, and she quickly realized that alone she would stand no chance against the Ventru, with or without the support of her clan. Thus she proceeded to befriend and ally herself with the local Nosferatu, a sizable group of kindred, and then proceeded to send letters both to the Toreador and the Ventru, distancing herself from the Bruja forces of the city and employing a significant dose of racism in order to evoke a positive response from the southern socialites. 
Racism and the clash between rich and poor would turn out to be tools she would come back to again and again, undermining any challengers to her power with it. And when the war ended, Marissa remained prince, and through clever manipulation of other kindred and ghouls, as well as subtle influence over the politicians of the United States, she would see her reign lasting for over a hundred years. Marissa earned the loyalty of the Nosferatu and Malkavians, and a venture and Torador of the South would eventually owe her so many boons that they were firmly in her pockets for a long time ahead. Likewise, she had used the chaos of the Civil War to remove any Tremere from the Octagon House, the local chantry, that opposed her or would otherwise prove difficult to work with. Eventually, the Tremere Pontifex was so deeply entrenched that should she be removed, either the Anarchs or the Sabbat would be able to overrun the city easily. No matter what way one could try to weaken her, it would have a much greater repercussion. Yet the 1960s would be the time when Marissa's fortunes would turn, and it would begin with the arrival of Marcus Vittel, a Ventru of notable age and power. It is unknown why Marissa allowed him the right to stay in the city, but perhaps she had grown bored with the lack of competition, or maybe she had actually fallen in love with the man, her human passions blinding her to the dagger held behind his back. Ostensibly, Marissa wanted influence over Vittel's clan, yet soon she found herself entrenched in a stormy relationship of equal parts rivalry and romance, abandoning her larger ambitions for smaller projects or self-isolation. Yet in the eyes of the Camarilla, she remained a threat, her grip over the human politics of one of, if not the largest superpower in the world, remained a constant thorn in their eyes, and during the uprising following the assassination of Martin Luther King, Vittel betrayed her location to Archons of the Camarilla, and then quickly moved in to claim the position of prince himself before any kindred of the city even knew what had happened. The Tremere would of course not take this sitting down, and one of them, Vadim Ivanov, challenged Vitel to a duel, yet found himself vastly outmatched in his clan's own field of expertise, thaumaturgy, and Marcus Vitel sent the man to his final death rather easily. Vitel would then call a blood hunt on the Slayers of Marissa, claiming that it had been the Giovanni who had orchestrated her sudden death. Indeed, Marissa had been at odds with the clan of death, even going as far as banning them from her city, and they were an easy scapegoat. Besides, the Giovanni would find little love with the Camarilla leadership, and thus he was assured that the matter would remain a secret between him and those he had brought to Marissa's haven. Vitel wasted no time in establishing himself firmly. He would reward those loyal to him well, and even kept cordial relationships with the Tremere, their newly appointed pontifex taking a more passive rivalry with the prince, most likely for appearance's sake than anything else. Vittel was also careful in ensuring that mortal institutions would remain relatively untouched in the higher echelons, at least in terms of direct control, in order to ensure that neither he nor any of his subjects would become the targets for the Camarilla's anger, or accidentally spark another inquisition by acting too blatantly. In general, Vittel has proven himself a reliable, archetypical Ventru in the ways he has ruled over his city. He is stern, but fair, but he has little tolerance for Anarchs. He has declared several extended Elysiums across the city, and he works hard to keep an eye on any and all in and outgoing traffic, whether it be by air, car, or rail. When Ronald Reagan began his presidency in the 80s, things began to change in Washington, D.C. Crime rates would skyrocket, and the Sabbat would begin to nibble at the city's borders. Vittel did not fight the increasing crime, but rather fostered it in the southeast part of D.C., arguing that with an increased amount of violence, it would be easier to keep the masquerade intact. To this effect, he also allowed a few Anarchs and even Setites to enter the city, much to the dismay of the older Camarilla kindred. 
it is unfortunately difficult to know the current state of Washington, D.C.'s kindred population. Suffice to say, the West Coast War during the late 90s, as well as the subsequent Sabbat occupation, and finally Mattel's reclamation of it in the 21st century, may have left a significant portion of its inhabitants destroyed or evicted. Yet we will turn the clock back now and observe the city as it were before the Sabbat took it, and who one might have encountered on its streets. Several different locations in DC have been declared extended Elysiums by the Prince, and Marcus Vittel is not afraid to do it to more places should the masquerade be threatened there as well. Of note are the Smithsonian Institution and its museums, the White House, the old Executive Building, the Capitol, the Supreme Court Building, the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, Arlington National Cemetery, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, Hotel Washington, and the National Archives. The Smithsonian has long served as a source of artifacts and magical items for the Tremere in the city, but with Wittell's ascendance to princehood, they have become significantly more careful in what they pilfer from its massive stores. Indeed, some claim that Marissa's rapid rise to power was in part due to the artifacts of great power that she got her hands on while going through the Smithsonian's stocks. The White House and its surroundings are technically Elysium, but kindred, especially younger ones, are strongly urged not to go near it for obvious reasons. The same goes for the Blair House and the old executive building as well, as they house the guests of the president and the large part of the executive branch respectively, and thus any kindred's presence would potentially invite disaster. Similarly, there isn't much interest in the Capitol or Supreme Court buildings aside from the power that these places wield, but entrance here is not quite as restricted as the White House. The Lincoln and Washington monuments are both favored locations of the Prince, and Vittel has been known to hold gatherings of associates or meetings at the Lincoln statue, while occasionally spending time at the top of the Washington monument to survey his domain. Some anarchs jokingly refer to the twin red lights at the top of the monuments as the eyes of Vittel due to how far they can be seen. At the East Potomac Park is a sept of werewolves who have proven remarkably difficult to get rid of. Vittel has attempted a few times, but due to some manner of ritual they have remained relatively safe and untouched, and they will occasionally strike out from their sept against the kindred of DC. This sept is primarily populated by Bonars, although they will welcome any other guru who wishes to join them. Prince Vittel and his predecessor were both smart enough to realize that mortals, lupines, and other kindred weren't the only threats against their control of the city of Washington, DC. There are mages, changelings, and raves, and of course several secret groups within the various intelligence bureaus that are hard at work attempting to sniff out spies, terrorists, and of course the supernatural forces hiding in the city. The technocracy hold great sway over many locations in the city, and the Celestial Chorus, one of the mage traditions, holds sway over the Washington National Cathedral. The Society of Leopold and the Arcanum likewise hold some sway. Undoubtedly, to walk the night in the U.S. Capitol, one must tread lightly. When it comes to the clans, at least under Vittel's rule, many of them have been cowed into submission. The Bruja, who once waged a war against the Ventura in the city, are now just a collection of lost sheep without a guide. Their leader, Bjorn Garinsson, is an exceptionally old Viking warrior, yet he has yet to find the passion to step up to the role completely. He has refused the seat of the Primogen, and memories from how his people lost in Scandinavia to the Ventru continues to plague him, planting doubts in his mind about the right time to act. The Gangrel, meanwhile, are a peculiar bunch, and while they don't engage much in local politics, which should come to no surprise to anyone, they are remarkably more social than their clan would usually be described. 
Their leader, Art Morgan, is close to a millennia and a half in age, yet he works as a journalist for a tabloid magazine, traveling the world and earning the good graces of many. Quite a few Gangrel have even put him forward as a potential candidate to the seat of Jessicar. The Malkavians of the city are individually quite powerful and influential, yet there is a distinct lack of coordination among them which keeps them from becoming a bigger threat than that. Scott Levin, the man who supposedly could be called the clan's elder, is obsessed with questions of IT and information, and spends his nights managing a dazzling amount of consoles and accounts as he scours the information highway for details. Other members of the clan wield power over the Bethesda Institute of Mental Health, known for servicing several ex-CIA agents and dangerous criminals. Should the Malkavians unite, the amount of information they would have access to could rival the Nosferatu. And speaking of the sewer rats, they too have a strong presence in the city and have enjoyed the patronage of all princes so far, more or less. The Nosferatu are no fan of Marcus Vittel, and in fact they know quite a few things about him that he would rather they didn't, but despite their awareness of his connections to the Sabbat, they have chosen not to act. And while the Malkavians may individually have access to great fonts of knowledge, the Nosferatu are several leagues better off coordinating themselves, and it shows. They deal openly with what they know, they buy and sell secrets, and they take care of each other. Their leader, Nathan, has however had some issues keeping his younger clanmates from joining the Anarch movement as more and more are starting to question the authority of the Ventra Prince. The Torador, despite being the architects of DC, are one of the weakest clans present. This comes after a long series of conflicts between them, the Ventru, and the rulers of the city. When Marissa claimed DC after the Civil War, the European Torador had yet to recover from the French Revolution and its aftereffects, and in their days the Ventru had seized power in many of the state capitals around the US. Thus they were left without much in terms of leadership in the US, and they were slowly whittled down to their bones by Marissa and her successor. These nights they are mostly abandoned by their European clan friends, and Chas Voyager, the clan's elder, is barely 60 years old as a kindred. The Tremere hold a special place in Washington DC, much thanks to the previous Pontifex Marissa and her stern leadership. These nights she has been replaced with Peter Dorfman, a significantly less charismatic man who has succeeded in being the best alternative to Vittel's rule, yet having close to no support amongst the other clans, and barely his own. Indeed, it is believed that Vittel keeps him around, mostly to show what leadership under the Tremere would look like, and it has proven quite effective. Indeed, the local regent, Helena Taylor, is significantly more popular, as she is also the head of the local harpies, and rather more pleasant to be around. The Ventru are little more than puppets for Marcus Vittel, and while many suspect that there is something off about the man, most will rationalize it away, confident that it is due to his age or the potency of his blood. Indeed, this is how Vittel wants it. He has systematically cultured a group of kindred who lack the spine to resist him, even though they nominally have a seat on the primogen. And only three local Ventru predate Vittel's arrival to DC, two of which are rumored to be somewhat in the prince's pocket, so to speak. Finally, the followers of Set, or, as they are known in more modern times, the Ministry, have a slowly growing presence in the city, made official recently after Vittel finally allowed them to reside within the city limits. There are a few, if any, of the other independent clans represented, and the Sabbat have a presence, especially in the poorer areas, but have yet to build up the strength they will eventually reach as Vikos sets their plan in motion. As I mentioned earlier, during the early 90s the Sabbat would conduct several raids into Washington DC that would see many older kindred destroyed. Quite a few of these were rivals to Vittel, for sure, but others were allies, 
yet there would be an increasing unease around the Ventral Prince that would culminate around the end of the millennia with the War of the East Coast, a Sabat initiative that rooted out Camarilla leadership in several cities on the Atlantic coast and that saw Washington DC set on fire. Sasha Vikos, the Angel of Cain, would attempt to assassinate Vitell under the guise of parlaying for a peaceful resolution, yet the servant intended to perform the deed failed in his task and Vitell escaped. Despite this, Vitell lost everything that night, as he not only saw at least one of his daughters destroyed, but also the eventual revelation to the Camarilla at large that he was not in fact Ventru, but rather La Sombra. Vitell was presumed destroyed by an alliance of Ventru and Bruja, including John Peterson, Theobel, and the ancient crusader Christoph Romwald. Yet DC would remain in the hands of the Sabbat for the next few years, even as the flames of war turned to embers. But rumors of his destruction would turn out to be exaggerated. Somehow Vittel had survived the attempts upon his life and had covertly begun to recruit amongst the local Sabbat Cainites those who would be loyal to him. Vikos, who had declared themselves Archbishop of Washington DC, seemed more interested in pursuing their own esoteric Nodis lore, and thus Vittel could operate in relative secrecy, even recruiting Tally, also known as the Hound, one of the Sabbat's most feared and influential Templars. Together with the help of Tally, Beckett, and Theobel, Marcus Vital would attempt to form his own empire with DC at its heart, declaring no sect allegiance and offering a safe haven from any kindred who wished to live independent of the Jihad and the sect wars. Considering his age and power, and the general disarray that the Camarilla and Sabat would find itself in, as the first effects of the beckoning would begin to grab hold of them, this seems to have worked out quite well in the La Sombra's favor. There are of course those who believe that this Vitell may not actually be the same man as the one who was presumed slain in 1999, but rather another creature entirely who only wears his face. Some La Sombra even speculate that it is the antediluvian itself who has chosen to once more walk amongst its descendants, but the only one who may know for sure are Vitell and his trusted hound. Undoubtedly Washington DC will play an important role in the future of World of Darkness. With the awakening of Mithras as well, and the Gehenna Wars looming on the horizon, the Camarilla will eventually have to accept that there are certain princes that they will simply never be able to cow into obedience. And that is before we even consider the fact that many facets of the new alliance of agencies that compose the Second Inquisition have their bases of operation right within the borders of Vitell's personal empire. And who knows what secrets he may be whispering in the ears of the right people. This video was brought to you by my patron, The Unemployed Writer. This one's a big one, and I hope I caught all the important parts. Thank you so much for your support.